What does it take to master front of house talent for some of the most renowned live performance venues across the nation? Today, we have the privilege of delving into this fascinating world with an exceptional guest. I'm thrilled to introduce Frederick Vogler, a multi-Grammy award-winning sound designer and front of house mixer, known for his outstanding work at iconic venues like the Hollywood Bowl and Walt Disney Concert Hall. Through his consulting company, Sonatus, Fred has left his mark not only on the L.A. Phil, L.A. Opera, and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, but has also lent his expertise to events spanning from Menlo Park to Santiago, Chile, and even Florida. Earlier in his career, Mr. Vogler made significant contributions to the film industry, serving as an on-set music playback live record engineer for beloved films like Sister Act 1 and 2 and The Preacher's Wife. Without further ado, let's extend a warm welcome to Fred Vogler. Hello. Hello, Fred. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Can you walk us through your journey into the world of live sound design and front of house mixing? I mean, what, what initially drew you into this field and how did you get it started? I think that like a lot of people in the industry, you know, we start as musicians at some point and um, through the passion of playing music or being active or involved in music and music making, you know, you find a path. And, you know, it was early on, like 12 years old range that I was introduced to professional audio equipment and professional recording and stuff and was so kind of enthralled with the concept of capture and, and re um, record and multi-track that I, I was focused on getting and, and having those components for myself. And so I played in bands in my teens and, you know, got into college and realized that my performing skills as a keyboardist and stuff weren't on par with the skills of, uh, you know, lots of other musicians in the programs around me. And, and I had a real pension um, or interest in all of the technology, you know, the microphones and capturing sound. And so through some luck and some real concentrated focus and interest, um, I was able to kind of parlay that into doing uh, more engineering and more some studio, but mainly location work. So I would go to a concert hall, I'd go to a, a church, I would go to a variety of different acoustics and record whatever ensemble, whatever music was being made. And, you know, through that, I was able to, you know, learn a lot about mic technique and different performers and working with the personalities. And, you know, I, I, anybody who's been in the business knows it's all about kind of your energy and how you um, contribute to the cause. If you're someone stressed or adding more anxiety in general, it's hard to have you around in a live setting. If you can kind of roll with it and you're comforting and offer, you know, sort of a, a stable environment, it seems to work much better. And and that's what kind of happened. You know, I was a student at USC in the School of Music and I was recording, I don't know, three, maybe four recitals or concerts or something a week, it seemed. And, you know, got to know and see and hear a lot of different types of music, lots of different ensembles. And then, you know, you get you get lucky sometimes and you something opens up and you can jump on that. And, you know, the location film work was, was some of that. That was a, an interesting process to be part of and to see entertainment you know, industry at that level, because there's just so much power, you know, all these people working together to create something extraordinary. And um, then, you know, at the same time doing record work and doing um you know, orchestral based, uh, I guess, support uh, allowed me to kind of get into, I, I got um, offered to work on the Streisand Orchestra um, mm. mix 
boxes for her big come out of the, you know, she, she hadn't performed in 25 years or something. And right. I needed someone who could work with the orchestra and create submixes for the front of house and for monitors and stuff. And that was a, a big eye opener too, because that scale, again, working with people that were way more experienced in live sound, um, but kind of as my main introduction into it was um, pretty exciting. And, you know, it's, it's a, you're going to make some mistakes, but hopefully you don't make big mistakes and you're going to learn along the way. And I've had the fortune of um, some good mentors, mentors and uh, people that, you know, were good for me to um, ask questions or, or get guidance from. And uh, you know, then the Hollywood Bowl um, came to be in the early 2000s, 2003. And I was wary at the time of what that meant and how that would define me oh my god and be oh, yeah. a sound person and you know in the 90s live sound was sort of that secondary career it was the recording studio it was making you know those type of records but um as that industry changed with digital distribution and and um ability to um share files and not have to buy physical discs and stuff um that industry kind of to, to shrink a little bit in live sound and the world of you know, that live entertainment has, has grown. And so I've seen in the last 20 years being at the bowl, uh, this just dramatic change, you know, you go to the trade shows, you go to the um, various conventions and stuff, and you see, you know, live sound now is, is kind of the legit more, you know, very um, appreciated and represented industry. So it's, it, like I said, it's somewhat luck and timing and all that. So it's kind of brought me to that place. And and I've been fortunate with um, the affiliation, especially with the Hollywood Bowl. We do so many different types of programs and, and high level by and large. So it's a, it's been a really good opportunity. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing, amazing history. Um, you, you've obviously worked in lots of different uh, uh, venues and spaces and for different types of performances. Um, what what are the most important things you think um, for doing a sound design for different types of venues? Is there is there kind of one unique thread that you use, or do you have some different approaches based on the 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 type of, of performance and the type of venue? Well, that's a good question. I mean, sound design you know, works in theater differently than it does in motion picture and then live sound. And there's, there's a common thread with all of the folks that do sound design and trying to recreate or trying to, um, I guess, enhance the experience for the audience. In live sound, you're often having to be conscious of time because you only have so much rehearsal, so much setup, and, and then they do a show. And once the show starts, you know, the trains left the station, you know, you're, you're moving, Game you, on. you can't stop and retool and rethink this. Um, so you have to be very quick on your feet and you have to be prepared as best possible. Um, knowing microphones because, you know, the tools of sound design are obviously microphone speakers. And then you have to be familiar with room acoustics. You have to know sound wave propagation, understand what absorbs, what reflects, and diffuses sound and how those can maybe help in the uh, process. And then um, you have to be open-minded. Um, again, you don't want to be that stress person that's causing more um, stress and aggravation for the event. You have to be able to kind of adapt and move with the 
with the production because inevitably you you can set up a lot of things in and um in advance and expect it all to you know come together but there's oh by the way so there's unexpected things that are going to change and then a really good group of people around you and that's the other thing i've i've been fortunate to have um you know incredible support you know from crew you know high level crew people to um, sound design and and manufacturers with strong sound engineers and stuff. So, I'd like to say, oh, it's it's just my you know great work, but in fact, it's a it's the accomplishment of many that make these things successful. And I get to sit on on the console or sit in the house and and drive it or or be you know somewhat in charge. But it's really a whole team of people that makes these things possible. Absolutely. Um, you've mentioned microphones a number of times. Are there some specific microphone techniques that you've you've developed, or um, I don't I don't know. We we can get into some specific brands, but um, what what do you what do you take in your toolkit um, as a as a collection of microphones, or is it just unique to each show? Well, I think that you do learn um, a certain type of transducer and microphone that works better for certain um, instances or, or instruments. And again, I think doing all those recitals when I was in my um, college days and early 20s that I was able to try different mics and try different uh, locations on you know, a variety of instruments, whether it was piano or voice or trio or, or larger ensembles. And you learn, you know, kind of the fundamentals of miking because there's a it's it's kind of a physics you know thing there's there's a spacing between the mics there's a distance from the source there's a height of the mics and then there's an angle of the mic and those four parameters with distance height angle um will change everything you know your your ability to capture sound and then make it louder is what we do in in the world of amplification right you know live sound is make make it louder um is really dependent on how you position those mics and, and your familiarity with them. I use a wide range of um, mics. Uh, and again, depending on what the source on stage is doing, if it's just orchestral um, and, uh, and there's no amplification, you know, and in the sense there's no um, keyboard or bass or something that needs amplification, um, then I might get the Sheps out, might get the Sennheisers out and focus a little bit more on areas. Um, but if there's a band and an orchestra or orchestral elements, then, you know, you have to go tight and you have to get something that's like the DPA 4099 on the strings, which is individual string mic. There's going to be bleed. We call it friendly fire, you know, from other elements, but hopefully there'll be more of that um, instrument than there are the others. And so proximity and how you can get that in there. And you also have to be constantly conscious of sight lines. You know, the inevitably there's um, IMAG or there's some sort of a camera or something. Or the player has to see the conductor or has to see other band or orchestra members. So you can't just put anything up um, that you want. You're going to have to negotiate. And so, but Mic technique is is imperative. I think understanding microphones and having um, a you know a collection to kind of choose from is is really important. I got that's that's great advice. It might always be my experience that you 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 can't really fix what is broken on the input. If it's if it's really bad on the input, you can only make it a little bit better. 
Um, so getting it right at the beginning is 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 absolutely critical. Um, absolutely, very, very, very good advice. I've had a I've had some experience dealing with uh, some performing talent on on microphones with uh, some of my past working for Electra Voice and for Crown. So, you know, some uh, some top talent there. Um, do you find that some performers have specific requirements that they 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 really insist on, and is that is that an important part of of your toolkit as well? Definitely. I mean, you you have to have a good dialogue and a good relationship with the performers. Um, you know, I I'm lucky to have been raised by a psychologist, so listening and, and understanding human behavior and, and kind of working with um, you know the different personalities is is um, a benefit. And knowing and talking to artists and, and kind of getting a sense of what what's realistic um, is, is part of the absolute, um, I guess, challenge, but also success of it. If you can get in and, and have that rapport and, and kind of a dialogue with the artist and get them to work with you and the technology, boy, things go much better. I mean, recently I did a show um, with Seth MacFarlane and got him to sing into a 1937 vintage RCA 44. And <laughs> I'd, I'd been asking Seth, we'd done some other shows in the past, an orchestra band and, and um, kind of Sinatra based songs. And he agreed to it, but I said, you know, there's a familiarity or, or comfort you have to have with that technology. You don't stand back. You, you have to work the mic and you have to, you know, become very comfortable maybe touching or holding or bringing it in because that's that will really ignite the the quality of sound, and boy, he did it, and it was fantastic. So you have to be able to, you know, have a, a chance to find artists that that are um, willing to talk. But some of them want head lobs, Have some of them want you know a certain handheld, and you know, there's a you can't completely dictate it. You have to you know open it up and maybe suggest. And if something doesn't work, then you go, well, I have this other one. You could try this. Because sometimes artists or um, director, producer types want, oh, I, I don't want to see the mic. I don't want to see anything. And you go, okay, well, we can try that. <laughs> and when it doesn't work, you better have a plan B or the next thing ready. Um, and that happens regularly as well. If somebody's got a, uh, a vision of what it should look like and not necessarily understand that you have to have the mic in a certain position or it just doesn't work, you know, for monitors, doesn't work for PA, doesn't work for the quality of sound. Sure. So. What are some of the other challenges that you've, you've experienced in venues that uh, have been tough to overcome? And, and I, I, I love your approach of just be chill and, and mellow and, and work with the, with, with the people there. Don't, don't add to the stress. Um, what are some of the toughest things that you've experienced and, and how have you been able to overcome them? Well, um, toughest is always time. I mean, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, because everyone's stressed and everyone has priorities and there's a lot of other um, issues that are happening, whether it's lighting, you know, and they got everything all over the stage and you're trying to get things set up, but they have to get the lights in place so they can raise you know, the trusses, the lighting trusses up into position. There's there's constant um, set design and stuff that you have to work around and cameras and stuff like that that everybody wants. You know, it's it's all kind of a, a bit of a game for who's going to get their stuff in there and 
and positioned in the best way. Um, and there's, you know, electrical issues. You you can't have your mic lines and electrical lines laying on top of each other. You get hums and buzzes. Um, but, you know, I think that the biggest challenge is the, are the personalities around you. And, and again, you'll find some venues have maybe stronger personalities than others. And that goes for any of the departments, whether, um, because if you do location work, you have to go to that that place and somebody has been there maybe for a long time and they don't need somebody coming in and telling them how to do everything. And so you have to kind of curb your um, desire to, to enforce your opinion or your sound or your approach on everybody. You have to see what they're doing and, and make you know, kind of make it work for you. Um, I, I find a lot of times people are so eager to, you know, Hey, we have to have it this way and I'm going to tune your system. And and I've, I've been host to a lot of um, sound persons who come through and they want to, you know, they're going to mix a show or they're going to be um, doing something involved with sound at the venue that I'm at and I'm kind of overseeing. And the ones that come in with the attitude that, Hey, tell me how you do this or how does that work? Or what, what do you recommend? Boy, the day is going to go a lot better if they come in with a real strong attitude and kind of like going to force their their way and and tell you what you've been doing wrong all this time. It doesn't usually happen well, and and most of the time, the persons that have been at venues have reasons for why they're doing what they're doing, and you just have to be open minded again, and you have to sit there and listen to what what they've um done it doesn't mean that you have to do it the same way it just means that you you give them a chance to talk and explain and then you adapt the way you want to do it to what they have and sometimes they offer things that you hadn't thought of that are way better and it works out successful um you know that that 44 mic that i wanted to put on um the crew chief at the kennedy center said hey um why don't we put this wireless uh, mic plug on it so he doesn't have to also deal with the cable management i was like hmm, didn't think about that because the mic is heavy the mic stand is heavy to keep the mic right. from falling over and not having to do cable management paging and all that stuff was was a game changer and and i was like yeah that was a really good idea and it worked it worked well so seth could move the mic into position for the slower songs that he was singing and then move it out of the position and go back to the handheld and you know Again, if you come in with a big attitude, they're not necessarily going to suggest anything to help you. And you, you should definitely know that the the persons that are in those venues can can be a big aid. They can also be a big, you know, um, pain if, if, so if you turn them off. That that's a challenge, and you got to you got to learn learn to work with the persons and the personnel around you. That's that's great advice. Um, what impact would you say technology has had in both helping with live sound production and recording as well as maybe not helping so much? Well, you know, um, live sound has matured and, and gone through some pretty significant um, changes in the last 15 years. And digital technology has been wonderful. You know, the ability to save and recall and um, set up quickly and go to onboard um, record facility or, or EQ or compression and all that stuff has really transformed the way um, 
you you operate in a live setting. We have shows with 160 mics. We get one rehearsal and we're mm -hmm. on here that night. You know, so set up, rehearse, a little bit of a break, and then we do a concert. And and then the next day is something completely different. So um the network, you know, the concept of having everything on a network and being able to access access all of those sounds and then send things around, game changer. But the the folly and the challenge is to not lose focus of the quality or or the sound itself. People get get pretty ambitious with with plugins or with all the different toys you can throw on it. But why? Because they're there. And I guess man, let's just try them. And um, in the last year, I inherited a 1974 Claire audio board um, that uh, was used for Springsteen and whatnot concerts because a mixer that I came to know Bruce Jackson um, had passed away some years ago and his, his widow asked if I'd like the board. And I, at first I was like, well, what am I going to do with a, you know, 32 input analog console that was used for live sound? Well, as it turns out, the quality of the sport's pretty high and the componentry, we did some caps, uh, changed capacitors and stuff to get those all on par. Cause it's a board that's it's so old. Yeah. yeah. Um, 50 years old, I guess. Uh, but the sound of it's really good. And the remarkable thing is that it focuses my attention to the sound more than looking at all the incredible colors and, and graphic representation of EQ or whatever compression you're doing. So, you, you know, you can't, in, in digital, you know, you turn that knob and you see that, that waveform up and down and you go, yeah, I'm you know, at 3.1 K and I'm pushing it 4.2 decibels and it's got a cue of blah, blah, blah. And am I hearing that? I don't know. I guess I'm hearing, I kind of sweep it a little bit, but in the analog world, a little goes a long way and you hear stuff in a way. And, and again, I think part of it's just because you're focusing differently. Your eyes aren't telling you anything. It's, it's all ears. You mm -hmm. look at the knob and, and, and you don't have, um, you don't, you don't have anything to to really reference and and get yourself um distracted you and so with the digital stuff it's fun because it it has so much power and it's, and it's so um comprehensive but you can't lose focus of the fundamentals it's got to still sound good or you you don't want to over compress over um i guess saturate with eq or plugins and stuff you got to focus on clean open full rich sound and and i'm also someone who embraces a lot of uh, stereo i know there's a lot of mono or people want to keep it the same from one side of the venue to the next and i'm not of that um ilk i'm, I'm much more into the spatial or the object base so as far as i can push items and, and objects and, and create a big sound and if i can open up the spatialization or the experience for more people i will even if it means when you're on one side of the venue, it's a little different than on the other side. It's not that different if you're in a you know, acoustic with an acoustic ensemble. You know, if you're sitting, because at the Walt Disney Concert Hall, you know, it's an orchestra in the round. So if you're sitting on the side, you hear a different blend of orchestral elements than you do if you're sitting in the middle or if you're sitting behind them. And, sure. and so in the world of sound design or sound amplification reinforcement, um, yeah, I think it's okay. I think there's some uh, wiggle room on how 
you make it sound for all the uh, all of the uh, patrons and and there's a big advantage if you can spread the sound a bit and, and create that dimension so that's that's fantastic i i had this old axiom that i i, I think you somewhat validated here is that you use technology to solve problems and then use your ears and your experience to create the performance or to create the art, if you will. And I, I, I don't know, that, does that sound like that fits with your kind of your, your paradigm there? Yeah, spot on. You know, I, I think that people, um, or a surprising number of people don't realize the, the position of the sound mixer, sound designer in, in some ways. I mean, maybe this group does because it's a focus on these technologies, but it is technology at the end of the day. It's not, it's not the solution. It's, it's the tool. And, you know, you still have to have technique and you still have to focus on that technique. And as I, as I say to um, colleagues and people that ask that, you know, you can buy, a $200,000 Steinway piano and put it on that stage. But it doesn't mean you're going to sound like a fantastic player. I mean, if you're an amateur or a beginner, you're still going to sound like an amateur or beginner, no matter what that instrument is. If that's a $200,000 Steinway, you still sound like you sound. And um, I would take someone with great technique over someone with a great instrument, you know, with no technique. So if... And, and if you have someone with great technique on a great instrument, wow, then the sky's the limit. That's Magic really it's, happens. So, you know, that that's one of those things that, yeah, don't forget you have to still listen and you still have to pay, you know, critical attention to the signal flow, the gain structure, the the way you have it laid out and, and don't overthink it and, and overdo it just because you can. Make sure it all makes sense. You're not adding you know, stuff to it that's that's going to be corrupting the sound. Sure. How has, I, I got another question for you. You know, one of the biggest problems on stage has always been um, the SPL that's on stage with the talent. And, you know, with our with modern line array systems and other techniques, and now with, uh, you know, uh, the next generation of wireless microphones, um, multiple DSP elements, um, and uh, wireless inner monitoring, what have you seen change in that regard and, and how has that helped or hurt the, the performance? Well, I think it helps a lot when you have complicated um, ensembles, you know, you have band or, or rhythm elements, you know, drums, bass, guitar, keyboard, amplification and orchestral or acoustic stuff. Um, those are game changers. Those are big Big difference. If somebody has to have floor wedges blasting, you know, the keyboard or the vocal or something, every mic on that stage is going to pick it up. Like I was talking about friendly fire earlier. If, right. you know, if I have 100, 130 mics um, in the orchestra open and, and I'm, I'm bringing them up and down, I read music, I can follow the charts and, and kind of keep them so that I'm not blasting um, or, or pushing the the, the um, brass mics when they're not playing for this song or this section, but nonetheless, it, the more controlled the sound is on stage and with these technologies where people can do in ear or they can, they have mics that are on them that are, you know, really focused on them. It really helps. Um, inevitably, you know, you're going to get the performer who holds the mic two feet from their mouth or <laughs> doesn't have any, yeah 
real concern for all the other elements going on. But, you know, granted, there's a lot of other pressure. You know, you got a camera, you got lights, you got an audience is expecting you to be, you know, perform. So holding that mic up and really singing into it because that's what's best for the monitor mixer or the front of house mixer or the recording isn't necessarily always a priority. <laughs> and so um, I'd like to think that uh, everybody was on board with that, but the, but when you can put mics on them or keep them in there on the performers in a way that uh, they're comfortable, every, you know, life is a lot better. The more comfortable the performer, the better the performance. That's cool. You you mentioned earlier um, your experience doing the uh, the uh, Barbara Streisand Orchestra um, when she came back out after after you know not performing for so many years. Um, I remember watching that and just being in awe. I've always been a uh, Barbara Streisand has always been one of my favorites. So do you feel like you were kind of mentored in that in that experience um, by more senior people, people with more experience? Did they kind of help you out in that regard? I, you mentioned that you were kind of a newbie there and they wanted to see what your see what your chops were like, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I was I was definitely um, uh, being taught some lessons <laughs> along the way. And, you know, again, everybody, you know, you have to accept the fact that you don't know it all and you're not going to know it all. You, you know, certain things and, and at certain levels of, of experience, you're going to um, be able to do this much and you need, it just takes years. I mean, I like to think that uh, I, I am um, in the sense, you know, get better every year. And I think I do, I make an effort, conscious effort to know more or, or try to learn things every day or, Certainly, um, every event kind of adds something to it. So, yeah, I was definitely given some schooling in that in that arena, and I was fortunate at that level. You know, I was with those that level of of people. Yeah, I I, I would say so. I I've had the chance of, of um, associating with a lot of the live sound world um, in some of my my previous roles. So I taught a live sound workshop uh, at Chapman College there for a while. Um, and, uh, I've gotten to know a lot of the, 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 at the time, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago, um, some of the top touring sound companies, uh, uh, that there are. Um, and it seems like if you can kind of prove your worth and then you can be mentored along They're they're actually kind of anxious to help you to be successful. Uh, nobody wants to see, uh, nobody wants to see bad audio happen. Um, and, uh, and I, I was going to ask you if, if that's something that you kind of look forward to the opportunity of doing is, is, is as you see, talent as you go into different venues, helping them to kind of come along. Is that, is that something that, that, that you enjoy doing or is that, that just kind of happens along the way? Um, very much so. I mean, I, I think it's important um, to help the next gen or next generation, um, you know, audio folks uh, kind of take from what you've learned and, and add to it. Um, I'm all, I'm extremely interested in, in people that are, motivated and really focused and and have a background that supports it you know when somebody says oh it looks like what you do is so much fun how do i do this well you know there's fun elements but but you know there's a lot of work and and took a lot of discipline and a lot of you know telling my family or friends or something hey i can't do that this weekend i know it's you know so-and-so's anniversary or so-and-so's birthday but you know i've got this gig or i've got something i'm into and i've got to got to see this through so you know when i hear 
people talk about work-life balance. I sit there and go, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, I mean, you know, I, I work a lot and uh, my wife is in the entertainment business too and she works a lot. And so she understands that there's, you know, that world of, of work and then life is is what you make of it around that time. Mm-hmm. And so young people that come and show that kind of real focus and that, you know, I, I tell, I tell people, Hey, you know, show up on time, show up with a good attitude and, um, you know, sober, ready to kick it. You're going to learn things. And as long as you keep that, that brain of yours ticking, you don't have to come in knowing it all. You have to come in having familiarity and understanding, but you have to be able to absorb and then advance it. And, and, those that want to learn, I have no problem at all helping to instruct or helping to guide. I mean, I, I was able to receive that from several colleagues and, you know, game, you know, they made a difference in my life and I have no problem pushing or helping with that, with the right group going forward. That's, that's really cool. My, my, my feeling is, is that uh, you, you, I have a greater degree of trust for someone who asks questions and is eager to learn and understand and certainly is not afraid to talk about things that they know, but, but is uh, never be, never afraid to ask a question. Is this the right point to connect? Is this the right mic to use for this position? You have a lot more confidence in, in giving them, giving them job and giving them insight as to what to well, do. And I also think that um, learning what has um, been successful, you know, in the past, whether it's the mic technique, um, instead of trying to kind of, you know, go down a new path, like, oh, I'm going to mic it this way, or I'm going to do it this way. Well, I don't have a problem with trying new stuff, but why don't you master what's been (laughs) really working for, for many years and, and then expand on that because likely you're not going to come up with um, uh, ideas or, or things that haven't been thought of or tried before. And I'm not saying there aren't some new new ground to cover or there's not new stuff to figure out. I'm just saying that master what has has been successful and and then build on that. That would be uh, a good move. Yeah. Great advice. Well, that's a perfect segue into kind of our last question here is what do you see in the future um, in terms of the next big development to help us um, with with audio performances, with live sound production? Um, what would you like to see? Um, kind of give us a little bit of an insight as to as to where you see the industry going and, and what you would like to see the industry uh, do going forward. Well, that's a that's a um, tough question because you know technology has um, such an impact on things, and just as you see one protocol is popular now and it kind of fizzles or goes away down the road. Um, I know that network technologies are here to stay and, and being able to put, you know, several consoles, several IO boxes or several persons all together connected with um, these technologies is, is a future and understanding matrix mixing and, and kind of dimensional matrix mixing is, is um, imperative. Um, I, I've had, um, some work with Fox sports and I've seen a lot of sporting world um, stuff in the last few years. Um, and just blown away with the technologies that the sports world brings to entertainment. And, 
it is entertainment, it's sport, but it's still entertainment. And sure. I'd like to see those technologies more in the world of live shows, live performance. I don't think I'm alone in that desire, but the, what you can do with video and, and audio and, you know, these massive systems where fiber and data are throwing stuff around and you could have, you know, events that, that are simultaneous, but still connected together um, from different spaces, different, um, you know, venues to different lands. It's amazing. Um, and again, just because you can doesn't mean you want to do it. You just have to find that right balance of, of what technology you can bring to the live show and that's dependable, reliable, and, and you have time to, to manage. But if you can bring in, you know, that sports world, that theme park world, and kind of supersize or enhance the the live show, um, that's that's wonderful. I mean, and, and it's happening. I mean, there's there are artists that are doing it. What I'd like to see more from artists is is um, live performance and not track based performance. Mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoy musicians playing and and you know keen or focusing on each other. Um, and when when you play to a track, it's you know there's that sense of a little bit of it's a little controlled. It's a little stilted at times. And I get it's repeatable and it's hard to do successive or back-to-back shows um, that are, you know, large scale without some kind of thing that, you know, anchors everything. But man, there are musicians out there that can play and can play really well. And, you know, giving them a click track is one thing, you know, making it a, a full band that they're playing on top of is another. And I, and I'm, it's just night and day difference when somebody is is playing without track versus with track, you know these tunes. And I, and I, as a somebody who who's interested in um, music and musical performance, you know, you, you come away sometimes and you go, "Oh, that was an okay performance." And sometimes you come away and you go, "Wow, they something just magical happened." And that that's what happens in live performance, you know. But when a yeah. track's playing, it's kind of down the, you know, it's keeps it at a certain level the whole time. So you don't have that, that chance of it going extraordinary track yeah. track re- restricts that. And, and I understand the need and the desire and the security of it, but I would love to see, you know, more abandonment of the, of the track uh, performance and just, let's just kick it and it's okay. You make a mistake or it doesn't, glue as much as it you know might because when it does connect and everything's perfect or it's just extraordinary that's the reason why we go see live shows and that's what that's right. what turns me on and i and i'll i'll take the chance when when something goes that's not expected or something just c- comes together unexpectedly that way um it's so exciting you know you, you remember those events and you yep. go wow that is that i'm gonna go see more of this yeah, that's a that's a I, I refer to them as the people that where the performers and the audience get into a flow state together, and as a result, there's there's this really cool thing that happens in in everybody's brains. Talking about a psychological background that that brings them all together, and you can't get that if if it's if you're reading from a script, if you're if you're just following along, if 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 something else that is in your ear, it has to be almost like in your soul, and as a result, you can anticipate and 
And there's just a real cool thing that happens there. That synergy is why we live and that that's human stuff that is just fun and totally what I want to see more of or be part of. Well, that, that explains why you're so good is, is, is you enjoy the artistry, the beauty, the majesty of, of doing live sound production. That's uh, that's really cool. This has been fantastic. Appreciate your time with us. Fantastic. My pleasure and, and look forward to more. Thanks for watching Broadcast to Post. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive future episodes. Follow Keycode Media on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to receive news on additional AV, broadcast, and post-production technology content. See you next time, folks.